We got back inside and blew the generator. Six hours, it'll be a hundred below in here. Well, that's suicide. Not for that thing. It wants to freeze now. It's got no way out of here. It just wants to go to sleep in the cold until the rescue team finds it. What can we do? What can we do? Whether we make it or not, we can't let the thing freeze again. Maybe we'll just warm things up a little around here. Okay, this will be the very first of a thing that I will be doing going forward. Uh, I did it in the Prince of Darkness episodes, it's just kind of film facts, but now it's kind of its own segment, and this will be the segment that we close the show with. We are calling it Bonus Cuts, and by we, I mean me. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I will get friends. Like, in this particular episode, I will have a friend that I'm going to be cutting away to uh, here very shortly, but I just want to kind of give you kind of a brief breakdown of what it is exactly that bonus cuts will be. Bonus cuts will be film facts, uh, reviews from the time that the film was released, uh, the budgets, and all of that kind of stuff. That'll all be a part of this new segment that I call bonus cuts. So I hope that you guys enjoy this. And of course, we're talking about John Carpenter's The Thing. You've already gotten my reaper uh, but now we're going to get into uh, you know actual facts about the film and we're going to start with a biography on the director himself mr john carpenter and i was able to uh, wrangle an angle if you will i i have the lovely and talented queen malvolia herself host of uh, two count them two horror hall of fame specials uh, miss jennifer nangle She's going to be uh, giving you guys the biography on John Carpenter as found on John Carpenter's website, johncarpenter.com. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, I'm going to stop talking and pass it off to Jennifer Nangle. Thank you, Jennifer. I love you. You're the best.
While attending the University of Southern California's School of Cinema, John Carpenter began work on Dark Star, a science fiction comedy short that was later expanded into a feature-length film and released theatrically in 1975. His second feature, Assault on Precinct 13 in 1976, was partially an homage to his idol, Howard Hawks, and basically reimagined that director's Rio Bravo in an urban setting. Carpenter's breakthrough film was Halloween in 1978, the seminal horror film made for $300,000. It was the most profitable independent movie of its day, and to date has spawned several sequels. Following Halloween, he further established his reputation with such genre hits as The Fog, They Live, Prince of Darkness, the psychological horror film In the Mouth of Madness, Christine, and The Ward. His rank as an action director on a wider scale is also evident in such productions as Escape from New York, Vampires, The Thing, Ghosts of Mars, Escape from LA, and Big Trouble in Little China. His motion picture credits also include the comedy thriller Memoirs of an Invisible Man, the sci-fi love story Starman, which earned Jeff Bridges a Best Actor Oscar nomination, and The Village of the Damned, the terrifying remake of the classic 1950s horror story. For the small screen, Carpenter directed the thriller Someone's Watching Me, the acclaimed biographical miniseries Elvis, and the Showtime horror trilogy John Carpenter Presents Body Bags. He also directed two episodes of Showtime's Masters of Horror series. He won the Cable Ace Award for writing the HBO movie El Diablo. In the gaming world, he co-wrote the video game Fear 3 for Warner Brothers Interactive. In the world of comics, Carpenter is the co-creator of the award-winning bi-monthly series John Carpenter's Asylum and the acclaimed annual anthology collection John Carpenter's Tales for Halloween Night. On Halloween 2014, the director and composer introduced the world to the next phase of his career with Vortex, the first single from Lost Themes, his first album of non-soundtrack material. Carpenter's primacy and lasting influence on genre score work was both rediscovered and reaffirmed. Lost Themes achieved numerous international milestones, including NPR First Listen, features in dozens of press outlets, including the Los Angeles Times, Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, and The Guardian three magazine covers, and top 200 charts success in the U.S. and the U.K. John Carpenter was born in Cathage, New York. His family later moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky, where his father was the head of the music department at Western Kentucky University. He attended Western Kentucky University, followed by the USC School of Cinema in Los Angeles. WKU awarded him an honorary doctorate in 2007. He lives in Hollywood, California with his wife, Sandy King, his frequent collaborator. Thank you once again, Jennifer. You are you're just so wonderful. I, I like her a lot. Anywho, uh, now we're going to get into the the factoids in the bonus quotes portion of the show and uh, we're going to start with the 
short story that this was based on. This was based on the short story Who Goes There, which was written by John W. Campbell Jr. Uh, John W. Campbell Jr. was the editor of Astounding Science Fiction, uh, later called Analog Science Fiction, in fact, from late, late 1937 until his death, and was part of the golden age of science fiction. Campbell wrote Super Science Space Opera under his own name, and stories under his primary pseudonym, Don A. Stewart. Campbell also used the pen names Carl Van Campen and Arthur McCann. Aside from his short story, Who Goes There?, which gained him the most notoriety as a writer, he's also remembered for fostering great minds of science fiction and literature, including Isaac Asimov, who called Campbell the most powerful force in science fiction ever, and said uh, the first 10 years of his editorship, he dominated the field completely. Uh, Campbell was also a complete racist piece of shit, and uh, they ended up changing the uh, Campbell Award name from the Ast uh, the Campbell Award to the Astounding Award uh, because his name is synonymous with hate speech and being an all-around piece of shit. John Carpenter was first approached about the project in 1976 by co-producer and friend Stuart Cohen, but Carpenter was mainly an independent film director, so Universal had originally chose Toby Hooper, who they had already had under contract. It turned out that the producers were unhappy with the treatment that uh, Hooper and Kim Hinkle were working on. They, you know, of course worked on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so they, they were hoping that they could have lightning strike twice uh, just doesn't seem that, that was necessarily the case the success of Ridley Scott's film Alien in 1979 uh, reinvigorated the film and got the ball rolling again and at that point uh, Carpenter had already released Halloween so he had already started to gain this notoriety as a celebrated filmmaker you know, especially you make a film for next to nothing and it makes a fuck ton. Uh, yeah, they they want him again. So after they secured the writer and the crew for the film, uh, it was ultimately stalled because Carpenter had almost quit the film, believing that a passion project that he wanted to do, El Diablo, uh, was going to get made by EMI Films. EMI, if I'm not mistaken, was the film company that he did Escape from New York with. I could be wrong on that. I don't have that information in front of me, so um, take that with a grain of salt. Initially, Universal set the budget of $10 million with $200,000 for creature effects, uh, which at the time was more than the studio had ever allocated to a monster film. Filming was scheduled to be completed within 98 days. These are the best laid plans. This is not the way that this went down. Uh, filming lasted roughly 12 weeks, beginning in August of 1981, and took place on refrigerated sets in Los Angeles, as well as Juneau, Alaska, which I have been to. It is a lovely place, very woodsy, um, very fucking cold, and uh, Stewart, British Columbia. 
which I have not been to, but would love to go to. Um, of the film's $15 million budget. Now, remember, originally the budget was set at $10 million, and the budget eventually inflated uh, to $15 million. And of that $15 million budget, $1.5 million was spent on Rob Bottin's creature effects, a mixture of chemicals, food products, rubber, and mechanical parts turned by his large team into an alien capable of taking on any form. Um, and again, uh, when filming began in August, the they had a budget of $11.4 million. They brought the budget up to 14 and then with the 1.5 for the effects brought it to 15 million and um so by the end of the production carpenter had to make an appeal to the executive ned tannen uh for a hundred thousand dollars to complete a simplified version of the blair thing the final cost was 12.4 million and the overhead cost brought it to 15 so that's promotion and everything and then um ultimately uh with the budget being 15 million it turned into 19.6 in the box office which is considered a failure in terms of a film it still made more than it was it cost to be made but it did not return the way that they had hoped. And, you know, uh, the the E.T. factor is brought up a lot because at in the same year that this film was released, you know, there was another film about an alien that was released that was directed by Steven Spielberg, um, if I'm not mistaken, also Universal, right? Same company? Totally different movie. <laughs> and you know one makes you cry and the other makes you afraid to go to bed so you know anyway um, Christian Nibby the director of the original film uh, The Thing from Another World it publicly denounced John Carpenter's version saying if you want blood go to the slaughterhouse all in all it's a terrific commercial for J&B Scotch Yikes. Uh, also, uh, in response to the commercial bombing of the movie, the studio canceled their multi-picture deal with John Carpenter. Um, and uh, Carpenter once noted that he lost a lot of jobs because of the thing. My career would have been different had it been financially successful. Yikes. And uh, the hits just keep on coming for the thing. I'm now going to read uh, Roger Ebert's review, uh, originally published January 1st, 1982, from the Chicago Sun-Times. You can find this review and many more at RogerEbert.com. The Thing is a great barf bag movie. Alright, but is it any good? I found it disappointing for two reasons the superficial characterizations and the implausible behavior of the scientist on that icy outpost. Characters have never been Carpenter's strong point. I could agree with that. 
He says he likes his movies to create emotions in his audiences. And I guess he'd rather see us jump six inches than get involved in the personalities of his characters. This time, though, despite some roughed-out typecasting and a few reliable stereotypes, the drunk, the psycho, the hero, he has populated his eye station with people whose primary purpose in life is to get jumped on from behind. The few scenes that develop characterizations are overwhelmed by the scenes in which the men are just setups for an attack by the thing. That leads us to the second problem, plausibility. We know that the thing likes to wait until the character is alone and then pounce, digest, and imitate him. By the time you see Doc again, is he still Doc or is he the thing? Well, the obvious defense against the problem is a watertight buddy system. But time and time again, Carpenter allows the characters to wander off alone and come back with silly grins on their faces until we've lost count of how who may have been infected and who hasn't. That takes the fun away. The thing is basically, then, just a geek show. A gross-out movie in which teenagers can dare one another to watch the screen. There's nothing wrong with that. I like being scared, and I was scared by the many scenes in the thing, but it seems clear that Carpenter has made his choice early on to concentrate on the special effects and technology and to allow the story and people to become secondary. But this material has been done before, and better, especially in the original The Thing and in Alien. There's no need to see this version unless you are interested in what the thing might look like while staring, starting from an anonymous, greasy organs extruding giant crab legs and transmuting itself into a dog. Amazingly, I'll bet that thousands, if not millions of moviegoers, are interested in seeing just that. Maybe not when the film came out, but uh, if, if time is a testament of anything, uh, millions upon millions continue to love and and be love this film. I think that Roger was off the mark, and I you know I think I have the luxury of hindsight, you know, in this situation. But even still, uh, I my interpretation not swayed by any of the popularity of this film. I don't think would have anything to play with in any way, shape, or form anyway. So um, I completely disagree with Roger Ebert's assessment of this film. I, I get where he says that Carpenter um, has an issue with character in his films, but I would say that uh, the, the, the performance of Kurt Russell on its own is great, but then you add in this kind of rich weird I, I gave my review but I, I, I completely disagree with this assessment uh, but we're going to get out of here I, I don't want to I don't want to leave angry I don't want to curse the dead uh, though I could think of some very clever curses to curse at this particular dead uh, but <laughs> rather than being negative we're going to remain positive and uh, we are going to toss out a couple of names of other shows that I particularly like 
uh, Horror Haven podcast. I was talking with Dylan and Sierra. Um, they're, you know, like everybody else, just trying to get through this COVID thing and, you know, the best of them. Uh, they are kind of while everything's going on, uh, looking to do some stuff that I really hope that they do. And if they do, I hope that they allow us to do it on this website as well as their site, you know, but, uh, to share those with you as well. I'm going to be releasing some flashback horror Haven podcasts, uh, kind of to coincide with the release of this episode. I've also got a flashback of Halloween that I'm going to be putting up. So, uh, you know, definitely check the stream for those. Uh, but beyond the void, uh, Alex is just killing it on that show. Such a phenomenal podcast. So well produced. And the, the interplay on that show is really, really fun. Uh, you know, Horror Mafia podcast, love Dawn. Uh, Dawn is the Dawn. So you got to show some love to the Horror Mafia podcast. Um, they show love to everybody. So definitely go out of your way to give them a check. Uh, Civil Gore podcast. I don't know if I've mentioned them before, but I really, really fucking enjoy their show. Uh, Giallo of the Month Club is a really fucking solid show. When I was in my Italian kick, um, I ended up finding that podcast. So that is definitely one that I would strongly suggest you guys giving a chance. And uh, the Terror Twins podcast, also really fucking fun show. Uh, give all of those shows a listen. Tell them Chunky, you s- tell them you were sent by Chunky, I guess. Tell them Chunky sent you. However that saying goes, I'm high. It's It's been a long time coming to get this episode out. And, you know, if you guys have stuck with me and you've gotten this far, uh, definitely check us out on, on the social medias. You could go to facebook.com forward slash creature pod. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at creature pod. I am going to be... Um, I'm going to be doing something that I did for Ari Aster for our next episode. I'm going to be doing a director spotlight episode. And this episode will be a two-part episode. And it will be um, all about Rob Zombie. We're going to be going through the entirety of Rob Zombie's film catalog. And, uh, well, not we're not going to cover the, co- the cartoon. Uh, but... All of his all of his live action films we're gonna be covering. We're gonna probably do a bio on him. We're gonna have uh, special guests and people weighing in on Rob Zombie. And if you want to be a part of that, you can definitely hit me up on the social medias. Like I said, um, on Twitter and Instagram, it's at CreaturePod, and on Facebook, it's Facebook.com forward slash CreaturePod. But next up for us again, like I said, will be the Rob Zombie two-part director spotlight. But for Jennifer Nangle, for Kurt Russell, for John Carpenter, and for myself and my diabetes. Again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on GeeksOfTheIndustry.com, Stitcher, and Apple Podcast. And this time more than any, listen someone you trust.
made it. Not the only one. Did you kill it? Where were you, Charles? Thought I saw Blair. I went out after him. Got lost in the storm. Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me... If we've got any surprises for each other... I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Why don't we just wait here for a little while, see what happens. <laughs> 